Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from the book of Jeremiah. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Anyway, Jeremiah chapter 21. We've been plowing through a couple chapters a, a night, trying to get through them. Uh, not trying to get through them, to try to get through them, but going through there and picking up some uh, some a pace. And um, looking forward to it. He, Jeremiah has just been really, really inspiring to me. I mean, I don't know why he hasn't had much fruit, but he's being faithful, is he not? He's seeing his life. He's just faithful. It doesn't matter what the people around him are doing, although his heart breaks over them because they're not listening, their ears are closed off. And they don't understand the consequences, but he does. He knows what God is telling him. And he's listening to the Lord and and he's giving them the word of God. And just every time he has something else to reveal, it seems like it, it pangs him even more. His heart just is crushed. And, you know, it just goes on and on. Well, tonight, um, you know, in chapter 21 and 22, so last week we left off in chapter 20, picking it up here. It's been about 20 years, not since last week, but since chapter 20. Sometimes as we read things, it's more in a chronological order. We read it, oh, this happened, that happened, this happened. Just like when we read, you know, some people say, well, I, I never hear from the Lord. Well, look at Jeremiah is not writing anything for 20 years. You know, so it's not like you, you haven't heard from the Lord in, in a couple of days. You're all right, you know. <laughs> I remember the, I remember how uh, Ezekiel would go off and the dates in Ezekiel are so critical. They're so instrumental because it says another six months would go by or two months would go by. So, you know, it's not like we wake up in the morning, okay, Lord, download. I mean, we, we pray and we want to spend time with him. What do you have for me for today? But it's not like we, you know, download the, the daily bread into our, or the daily desires of God you know, and the Word of God into our lives. So 20 years have gone by. It was written about 588 B.C., and the Babylonians are camped around the city. In that 20 years, several kings, and I think four of them, we're going to look at them in chapter 22, three of the kings, well, Josiah being the fourth, I believe. But we'll look at them and see what God has to say to them. And they're past. Some of them are past. We're coming up in the last, you know, um, gosh, like I said, it's been 20 years now. But he's... uh. Uh, the Babylonians, are, they've taken two groups already into captivity. So you guys missed all that. I mean, so do we, right? <laughs> we didn't see it either, not at least here in, in, uh, in Jeremiah. But two groups have gone off into captivity. And King Nebuchadnezzar, or excuse me, King Zedekiah, uh, he was the king wanting to get, get some help from Egypt because he was paying tribute to ne- King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar and, and the Pharaoh wasn't going to help him. And so he being the son of Josiah and the successor of Jehoiachin, you're going to get these names probably spinning in your head for a little bit. And after uh, Jehoiachin only reigned three months, he, de- he was uh, deposed and carried off to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar then installs who we see in, in the throne, Zedekiah. He's on the throne, but he's more of a, a vassal or a puppet king. He's just there because uh, Nebuchadnezzar put him there. He's going to have to be, remain loyal, not to God, but really to Nebuchadnezzar. He reigns there for 11 years. 
never really uh, accepted by the people in 11 years. I mean, how could you be? You know, when he's, everything he's doing is evil. Everything that he's doing is not good. And they know that, well, listen, we're under the tribute. We have to, you know, we're under the, the rule of Babylonia. King Nebuchadnezzar is really in charge. So what you say, we're not listening to you anyway. You're really not in charge. And here, Judah, in chapter 21, and we've been seeing this constant reminder that they're going to pay the consequences to what they've been sowing to. But they're, but this has been because they've been refusing to barter with Babylon. They want to go out and get King you know, some other help somewhere, but it's, it's just not going to, it's not going to happen. So in no time, or there's been no time for repenting anymore. They've gone the, to the extent of things, you know, and the damage has been done. The consequences, they're going to be delivered. That's where they're at right now. And so we're picking it up in the, in the chapter 21, verse one. And because this judgment is imminent, I mean, it's, it's bound to happen. Zedekiah makes this lawfully prayer. I mean, it just throws up a Hail Mary. Look at verse 1, he says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent to him Pashur the son of Melchiah and Zephaniah the son of Messiah, the priest, saying, "Here's what he, Please inquire of the Lord for us. Here's Zedekiah, this is his request. For Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, makes war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful works, that the king may go away from us. And so Zedekiah hasn't been faithful to the Lord. In his 11 years, he hasn't been faithful to the Lord. As a matter of fact, he wasn't being faithful even to King Nebuchadnezzar. So he's like in this pickle, if you will, but he wants to throw this request out there. And he sees the fate of him is going to, the fate of him and the people is sealed. It's a done deal. And, you know, there isn't any army that is going to help him get out of this. It doesn't matter if, it, if it's uh, the uh, Egyptians or, or some other army that he can possibly uh, pay to come in to take, uh, to take over and, and, and woo away the Babylonians. This is just not going to happen. He's not going to be able to stop them because this is a judgment of God coming against them. Judgment sent by God. It's the Lord, uh, the Lord told Jeremiah earlier, he told him, don't even pray for these guys. Because they don't deserve to be blessed. They're not walking in the blessings. They're not walking in obedience. So he would tell them, don't even pray for them. And here, here, Jer- or here Zedekiah is taking this prayer and throwing it up there as the word of the Lord comes to him from Jeremiah as he sent these couple, Pashur and Zephaniah, to inquire of the Lord. It's like the little boy that cried wolf. In a sense, I mean, he's asking, he's just thinking, you know what, just... Have God just deliver us once again, because that's what he's always done, right? Called upon him, and he's delivered them. Called upon him, delivered them. So Zedekiah's just like, hey, why don't you just go to God and have him deliver us one more time? All right, one more time. You ever hear those people that say, God, I will follow you. I will follow you as long as you give me that guy or that girl. Oh, God, I will follow you if you give me that job. Oh, God, I will be more on fire if you, if you, if you, you know? That's the way it is. Here's this guy, Zedekiah the king, never having a plan to change in his heart, never having a plan to, you know, want to get right with the Lord, but just want to say, hey, you know what? We belong to the Lord. Why don't you deliver us, you know? Why don't you deliver us one one time? So 
who he's wanting the Lord to pull him out of the situation. Again, in verse 2, he says, perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful works. You know, it's obviously it's not according to what they're, you know, living in obedience. But, but God, you're so wonderful. Oh, God, you're so wonderful. Deliver us from this thing, if you will. But there's no way that God is going to bend on this judgment that's coming. They made their bed and now they're going to have to lie. And that's just the bottom line. So look at the Lord's pronouncement to the king in verse 3. It says, Then Jeremiah said to them, you sh- uh, Thus you shall say to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. So remember the question or the prayer is, Why don't you just deliver us? Wink, wink. But he says, behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands. So he's saying, I'm, forget about the Babylonians. I'm, I'm going to leave the Babylonians armed with whatever they have. But your weapons, what little do you have, I'm taking them from you. Okay. And he says, with which you fight against the king of Babylon and the Chaldeans, who besiege you outside the wall, the enemy's pressing in. The Lord has taken every weapon away from them out of the hands of Judah. And listen to the siege, because this is the Lord's doing. He says, and I will assemble them in the midst of the city. I myself will fight against you. How would you like that? He's the undisputed champ of the universe, right? I mean, of the whole universe, not just the heavyweight champ. Who's going to fight against God? And here's God saying himself, you know what? But if you're dukes, bro, because we're going to take this on and I'm going to come against you. With an, I'm going to come against you, he says, with an outstretched hand, with a strong arm, even in anger and fury and great wrath. And I will strike the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast, and they will die of a great pestilence. And afterwards, says the Lord, I will. I, you know, every time I've gone through this and I have, I will underline, bold, underline, bold. I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah. This is the fate of the king, his servants and the people. And such are left in the city from pestilence and the sword and the famine. But they're going to go into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. And he shall strike them with the edge of the sword. He shall not spare them or have pity or mercy. Their fate is sealed. It's not like God just came up and had this, you know, bad pizza night and said, you know what, now I'm really mad. I got a stomachache. And I'm going to come against you, Zedekiah. This has been going on for year after year after year, right? I mean, this is not just a one and done thing. This is like time after time after time. And how many times you warned somebody? I mean, it's just like Sodom and Gomorrah. How many times you warned them before, well, God's coming. Oh, he's not really going to come. What do you mean he's going to come? Watch this. Or the flood. Hey, you want to get on the boat? What do you mean get on the boat? Well, I'm building an ark. What's the ark for? It's going to rain. What's rain? I don't know, but God said so. I don't believe that. What happened? See, God's word is going to come to pass, is it not? Every single time. And how long they keep denying God, keep you know closing their ears off to him, it goes on and on and on and on. Again, this is just, they're, they're reaping what they've been sowing to. And this could have been, if you think about it, um, maybe in our day, you think about somebody that's been sowing to something and they're sowing, maybe they're, they're being unfaithful, they're out having an affair, whatever the case may be, their sexual immorality, or they're using drugs they shouldn't be using, even be, be around, and all of a sudden they get a call from the doctor, uh, you contracted a disease. Oh, what happened? Well, I don't know what happened. You've been faithful? Well, well. And the problem is they're sowing to what they're, they're reaping what they've been sowing to. And all of a sudden you have these consequences that are there. You have the consequences that are that God knows about. 
And all of a sudden, we're left saying, hey, God, can you deliver me for this one? And he's like, look, you've sown this. You've made your bed, and now you got to lie in it. And, oh, yes, he'll forgive you, and he'll forgive us, but it's a messy ride to the finish line, isn't it? And that's what we're seeing here. Judah is having to deal with the consequences. In verse 7, the Lord is also going to give them up to, it says, pestilence and the sword and famine, and they will be healed, uh, headed off into captivity by the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. And he doesn't show any mercy. He doesn't have any pity. He's not going to spare them. There's not going to be any of that. You see, here is what I've been, we've been really talking about for a while now. When you see all of this action, it's like a light newsflash. But it's coming through a faithful servant of Jeremiah. Faithful. Time after time, Jeremiah is being faithful. It doesn't matter the world around him. Look, he's not part of the majority. He's not part of the, the movement out there, whatever that might be. But he's part of the move of God. God is the only answer, right? He's the only answer to the world then. He's the only answer to the world today. And Jeremiah is going to be faithful to that no matter what's going on around him. And you and I are in that same boat. We are to be faithful to God no matter what's going on around us. Listen, this might not be the most popular thing that we're going to do, but it has to be the thing that we're going to do. And Jeremiah has been faithful. And he's not bent, He's not going to bend on what he's been told to speak by the Lord. And it's not easy at times. We all know that. It's not easy being faithful, but it's so necessary it's so necessary to speak the truth in love to those who need it. We have to be a people that is going to, you know, I don't know. if We have to be a people that have, we have the answers and we have to deliver the answers. We have to deliver the goods. So here we have the pronouncement to King Zedekiah has come. Nothing is going to change the mind of God. Nothing's going to change his direction. But then he also speaks to the people in verse 8 and he says, um, now you shall say to this, this people, thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. And he who remains in the city shall die by the sword, by the famine, by the pestilence. But he who goes out and defeats, uh, defects excuse me, to the Chaldeans who besiege you, he shall live. And, he, and his life shall be as a price to him. For I have set my face against this city for adversity and not for good, says the Lord. And it shall be given into the hand of the king of the Babylonian, or the king of Babylonian, Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. And so the message that the Lord gives to Jeremiah to the people is listen, I set before you a way of life and death. And again, the way of death was to die. They were going to die either by the sword, pestilence, or by the famine. And the way of life was to be taken captive in, into captivity by the Chaldeans. Look, that's the way you're going to live. You want to live, you better go with those guys. And it's not going to be happy. It's not going to be fun. You know, there wasn't any hope for the king, but there seemed to be a glimmer of hope for the people as they're going to be put off into captivity. And the hope would come to the people only if they surrendered to the king, king of Babylon, king Nebuchadnezzar. But you have to understand when you surrender, the way you're going to live your life, it's going to be under his authority. It's going to be under his rule. It's going to be under his desires. It's going to be, you know, under what, whatever he feels goes, goes because he's the authority. Rather than good, he's going to be a king that, that uh, was going to plunder you. Remember when the people said to the Lord, they said, we want a king like all other nations. Remember that? God said, well, okay, I'll give you a king, but listen, this is what he's going to do to you. And it was Saul. 
Remember that? I mean, it just wasn't good. We want to be like all other nations. Are you sure? I mean, I trip out when I hear these politicians thinking they want to be communists or socialists. I mean, it's just, have you not read your history books? I mean, let's get a clue. But the, here's the thing. It's like, well, what, what's happening here is they're like, they're, they're coming into this place of understanding that the only way you're going to live is going to be under the authority of the king, and he's not a good king. And here's a blessing for you and I, and you know this. The only way that you and I can live is to surrender to Jesus, right? It's the only way. I mean, there's pestilence out there in the world. There's all these famines. There's all of this stuff out there in the world. But you and I, we come and we surrender to the Lord. We too have a king and we have to we surrender our lives to him. But our king is a good king. See, the Christian, I think the church needs to wake up and see the goodness of God. God is not only, Jesus isn't only our savior, but he's our healer. He's our mighty counselor. He's everything that we need him to be and then some. You, you realize that when Paul wrote to Ephesians chapter 1, he said to the church of Ephesus chapter 1, he said that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you, just in the quietness of your own mind and heart, what do you need tonight? You need healing in your own mind, your heart, your hurt, childhood, whatever it is. God wants to be that to you. See, we come and we surrender ourselves, not just our sins. You know, sometimes I think that you know, the church, we take our sins. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. And we got so much more we want them to deal with. We have so much pain or so much, you know, you know, just condemnation or whatever it is that we're dealing with, whatever. And God says, I want to be everything to you. Mighty counselor. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that. And I want to counsel with you. Remember, Isaiah said, let us come together. Let us come together. Let us reason together. God, so I'll reason with you. <laughs> I mean, listen to the Lord. Listen to his ways. See, this is what the God has to offer to people today. Even, even today, no matter what they've been through, behold, I set before you the way of death and the way of life. Listen, the way of death and the way of life. It's a choice, isn't it? It's a choice for every one of us. Not just in the church, it's still a choice today, how we're going to live our day today, how we're going to live under the authority of, of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit according to the flesh. But listen, it's a choice that people make. What do you want to do? You want to go to heaven? The choice is for everyone to make. It's a choice that God gives us to make. He wants us to choose him and see the love that is reciprocated, that is brought back, that he loved us so much that he gave his son. And we say, wow, you love me that much? I remember the day when I got saved, there were still people that were on their knees at the altars being saved. So thankful that they were saved, that their sins were washed. Today, it's like people philosophize with it. I mean, ah, well, I don't know. I'll take this, maybe that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But there's a choice that we have to make. Remember when Joshua moved into the promised land? They had been through battles. They had been through this time. He had been out, you know, delivered out of Egypt. He had been with Moses for a long time. And he was off to a new start in his life and for the people. But he didn't want to go back the other way. And so he said to them in Joshua 24, 15, If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which are on the other side of the river, or the gods or the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we've chosen to serve the Lord. We're going to put God first. There's nothing going to come outside of that. We're going to make God first. We want God to be our heading, our covering, our savior, our healer. We just want him to be everything. I just want to go to God.
And remember, Paul, in his writing to the Romans in chapter 6, verse 23, he said, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's a choice. Everything, everybody gets a payday. Not with peanuts and caramel and all that stuff. You get a payday at the end of your life. If you don't have Jesus, your reward is death. Your, the wages of sin is death. If you have Jesus, uh, the gift of God, it's eternal life. Isn't that a blessing? You have Jesus Christ. The choice is ours to make. And again, whether we're in the church too, because now that we receive Christ and we come to this, how do I want to live my life? How do I want to live it? Walking in the spirit, walking in the flesh, in life in Jesus, outside of Jesus. And, and choices take place all over the world. We want to choose, again, where we live, what car we drive, where we work, where all this stuff, where, how, what fad we're going to follow, or what, what team we're going to root for, and all this stuff. But how often do we look at the consequences of the choice that we make? Consequences. See, many times we don't look at the choice, maybe like a big purchase of some sort, until when? The next month when the bill rolls in. <laughs> that car was nice I was rolling in until I got that bill. <laughs> wasn't all that anymore. By the way, as for Jeremiah, to even make reference of this, surrender to the enemy. If he, I mean, he, you see what he's telling the people? Either you got to die or you got to surrender to the enemy. They're thinking, what? That's treason. What are you going to do? And so he's in this place of saying, you know what? Uh, it's not going to make him any more popular. <laughs> Right, because he's he's mentioned to the people, he's going to bring greater trouble upon himself every time he says something like this. Nobody wants to hear that they have to surrender in order to live, whether it's to the king Nebuchadnezzar back in this day or to Jesus Christ today. Really, nobody wants to nobody wants to hear surrender. But keep in mind that Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar was actually doing the work of the Lord in punishing the kingdom of Judah. And that being the case, we can say that God was allied with Babylon in fighting Judah, in order that they might surrender to Babylon. Warren Worsby says this, he says, As God's people today, we need to realize that the only safe and sane response to, chase, to God chastening's, God's chastening hand is submission. That's what it is. He references Hebrews 12, 9, which says, Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect, shall we not much more readily be in subjecting to the Father of spirits and live? Listen, the implication is that we might not live if we don't submit to, submit to the will of God. Many people want just enough Jesus to get them into heaven, but not enough Jesus to make them radical believers. Or as has been put, we have just enough Jesus to be informed, but not enough Jesus to be conformed. Or some people just have enough religion to make them absolutely miserable when they can have the fullness of life found in Jesus. You see, Jesus is the answer. And surrendering to him, to his word, to his authority. We're walking around with the greatest message that this world needs. You're seeing all the, uh, you know, the delegates, the politicians getting out for presidency and they're making their campaign and I'm thinking, I love what Jesus has to say. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Might take my yoke upon you. Slight. Isn't that wonderful? You're not going to find it anywhere else. 
But we have the message. But we, it's hard to give the message if we're not living the message. See, it's hard to give that message out. And what I think that what we need to do, God, you got to be everything. I want you to be everything so that I can share that with the next person. And look at verse 11, because then he speaks to the house of Judah. He says, and concerning the house of the king of Judah, say here the word of the Lord, O house of David, thus says the Lord. See, it's important to keep in mind that Judah was supposed to be the leaders. Remember the prophecies concerning Judah and Jesus. He, the, promise, the promise of the scepter and the ruler's staff indicated that Judah would exercise rulership. And also this was fulfilled in King David and his descendants, ultimately being fulfilled in the uh, rule of the Messiah. And in the New Testament, Hebrews 7.14 clearly traces Jesus' Jesus's descent from Judah, while Revelation calls him the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Right? Incredible. So he says, O house of David, thus says the Lord, Execute judgment in the morning and deliver him who is plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Let my fury go forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Listen, Judah has refused to heed God's warning. So God's wrath would burn like he says is unquenchable fire. They're, they're not listening. Judah had a responsibility that they weren't living up to. And not only was the Lord not happy with them, but he's going to do something about it. He's going to bring judgment upon them. It's not just for that purpose, but because of the hole that they had dug themselves into and they weren't asking for help. And the Lord is saying, hey, I'll help you every time. Look at verse 13. He says, but I am against you, inhabitants of the valley, the rock, the rock of the plain, says the Lord, who say, who shall come down against us? Or who shall enter your dwellings? Zedekiah feels like this. Some of you have been to Israel. The walls are huge. The gates are massive. And you're kicking back in there. I mean, in comparison, when we used to go down to, we've been down to Juarez, we've been outside of uh, uh, help uh, Harvest Hands out there, and, and they have a gate. They have, it's a nice fence, right? A nice wall around it, beautiful. Not compared to Jerusalem. Though. I mean, Jerusalem, you're like riding up there with, you know, horses and stuff. It's like this wall is big. And Zedekiah feels so comfortable back there. He's like chilling. He's chillaxing. I'm all right. Remember the false prophets were saying, peace, peace. Don't worry about what, the, what Jeremiah is saying. They were saying, peace, peace. Maybe he bought into that. I don't know. But here's the thing. You see, he's got confidence in his safety, in his home, in his dwelling, in, in, you know, in the city. And he feels like Jerusalem is impenetrable. But the Lord obviously has other feelings, right? This was totally absurd. It's absurd to think. Even the city with their thick walls would never be protected from God's hand of punishment. Listen, I say this in all due respect. Don't get confident nor cocky in the economy. Get confident in Jesus Christ. Because this is just the tide and the ebb and the flow. We need to be confident in Jesus Christ. Who's our Who's our provider? Who's our, I mean, we all want to live in safety and peace and a land of prosperity. But listen, I want to live as Jesus' king. It ain't, it's not changing lives for the good. It's not changing lives for Jesus. That's what I want to get to. Because people with all their money and all the good economy didn't, can't buy their way into heaven. They need Jesus Christ. So Zedekiah is in his place. 
He feels secure in the city. He feels that, you know, he's boasting in this, that the city is keeping him safe, that impending judgment, you know, it's not going to happen to me because I feel safe here. But this wasn't going to last. Because Zedekiah's battle was with the Lord and not with man. There's somebody who has the last say. Always. And it isn't China. It isn't Russia. It isn't the United States. It isn't all of them put together, the European Union put together. None of that is Jesus Christ. He has the final word, does he not? His word will trump every time. What he said will go every single time. And so he said, behold, I am against you. Verse 14, he says, he says, but I will punish you according to the fruit of your doing, says the Lord. I will kindle a fire in the forest and it shall devour all things around you. See, because of his confidence in these man-made walls and because of his life of sin and rebellion, God was going to punish him. God would kindle a fire against the king and the inhabitants of the city that they were going to be able to put out. And, and it's like here, the writing is on the wall. The end is here. And it's pretty sad. It's sad that the king saw no need to listen to the words of the Lord. And because of it, God is going to bring this punishment. So God instructed Jeremiah to go down to the people or down to the temple of the king's palace in chapter 22. I'm going to give you another one of those little history rundowns real quick as we get here. We're going to look at three of those kings. But this chapter, it takes us back a little bit. It's going to take us back into some of the kings that have reigned in the prophecies against them. And it's important to keep in mind that Jeremiah's calling started at the time when Josiah was in reign. He was a king. He was a good king. He brought reform to the nation. Remember, he wanted to change. He wanted people to follow after God. This is what we're going to do. He found the word of God written. This is what we're going to do. He was a good king. But while he was king, uh, later on in his days, he heard that Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh Necho was going to fight against Babylon. And he went out with this battle and he said, hey, I'm going to help you. Josiah says, King Josiah, hey, I'm going to help you. And, and uh, Pharaoh Necho says, you know, I don't need your help. This is my battle. I'll, I'll take care of it. But uh, Josiah said, well, I'm going to help you anyway. So he went in disguise and he was hit with an arrow and died before he got back to Jerusalem. Well, after that, then you get in these other kings. Jehoahaz, known as Shalom, we'll see that. He was 23 years old when he began to reign. And sadly, he turned from this goodness of his father, Josiah. And in just three months, he rebuilt all the centers of the idol worship that his father had destroyed. And, and uh, he was eventually taken by Pharaoh to Egypt. And... Uh, then Pharaoh put his brother Jehoiakim there in his place as king. So they're still really not ruling. I mean, you have to rule with justice and, and rightness. And then Jehoiakim reigns for 11 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord upon his death. His son, and we'll see this, Jeconiah or Coniah, uh, both names are the same, uh, same person, began to reign and only, he only lasted three months. And so we have three kings in this chapter we'll take a look at. Look at verse 1. The message to the king of Judah, thus says the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah, and there speak this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, you who sit on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates, 
Thus says the Lord, execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the plunder out of the hands of the oppressor. Do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. You see, the problem here is was that, that wasn't taking place. There was no rightness because the judicial system was corrupt. It had been corrupt for a long time. And the problem was all the honest people were having to deal with it. That kind of sounds like today, but anyway. And, you know, evil wasn't being punished. All the honest people, I'd pay, they'd pay in their whatever they had to take care of. And, and after the thing, the reign of Josiah, things went downhill. Verse 4 says, For if you indeed do this thing, again, it says the Lord is emphasizing the decision that they make. If you indeed do this thing, then shall enter the gates of this house, riding on horses and chariots, accompanied by servants and people, kings who sit on the throne of David, but, again, their choice, if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, says the Lord, that this house will become a desolation. So Jeremiah was to go from the temple to the king's palace, and again, his message to the king, to the officials, to all the people, was that for them to do what was just and right. Every Leader should operate in that manner. This is the content of the message back in this uh, 21st chapter, verse 12. But if the king would be careful to observe God's commands, he would expect or could expect blessings upon him. But if he disobeyed the commands, then the royal palace would become a ruin. And that's what he's saying. You know, why don't you guys do right? Why don't you treat your people right? Don't, don't, don't take after them and just... You know, you take everything from them and you're treating them so terribly. Why are you doing that? And then in verse 6, he says, Thus says the Lord to the house of the king of Judah, You are Gilead to me, the, the head of Lebanon. Yet I will surely, or I will, I, I will, I surely will make you a wilderness, cities which are not inhabited. I will prepare destroyers against you, every one with his weapons, and they shall cut down your your choice cedars and cast them into the fire. And many nations will pass by this city, and everyone will say to his neighbor, Why has the Lord done so to this great city? And then they will answer, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshipped other gods and served them. Surely, by this impending judgment, it is or it was in no way going to make God look foolish. You know, the people were going to ask questions. Why did God do this? Why did the Lord do this? It's not going to put a chink in his armor. It's not going to make him look bad. People are always going to ask questions. People are always going to point to men to try and make God look good, look bad. They're, all, they're always going to do that. And whether they're writing a statement or writing a blog or something, you know, it's all over the... I mean, nowadays with the internet, it's crazy. The things that they'll say about a pastor or a ministry that are no longer around because somebody's fallen into sin and become, and become disqualified, they'll write story after story about that and they'll say, why has God allowed this to happen? Oh, if God was really God, why has this happened? Well, none of our disqualifications or even by seeing, you know, buildings, big buildings that are empty or are falling down or whatever the case may be, they're never a bad mark on the Lord. People look at this and say, why has the Lord done? There's never a bad mark on the Lord. What they, are, what they are is a testimony to the heart of the people towards the Lord. You know, people don't want to hang out with God no more. 
They don't want to hang out with the word. They don't want to hang out. They're, they're tired of it. And yes, a pastor or a, a, a church or, or a ministry can turn sideways, but it is still isn't a chink in his armor. It doesn't make God look bad. Rather, it's showing the heart of men. You know, we see this in the church today. We, we, we you, you read the church of the churches of the letters in Revelation, and you see the different churches in there, the time periods, the era of the churches, and you see the heartbeat of what's in there and what shouldn't be in there. And it's crazy to think that somebody would operate that way. Well, you just open up the yellow pages. You see the same thing today. You see the difference of the churches. And there's a difference there because not because God's in control, because man's in control. The word of God isn't a priority. Worshiping of God is not a priority. And here you have these things that when people think, well, why are the churches empty? Well, it's not because it's not because God's not on the throne. It's because that the heart of man. They think that they can live without him or live without his word. But here Jeremiah, he's referring to the royal palace, both Gilead and Lebanon were known for their force, and the royal palace in Jerusalem was known as the palace of the forest of Lebanon. But after God's judgment on this place, it, it would become desolate as a desert. That's pretty empty. And the Babylonians are going to cut those fine cedar beams out of the place and cast them into the fire. As a matter of fact, this happens a little later. Jeremiah 52 verse 12 says this, Now in the fifth month, of the tenth day of the month, which is the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the king, uh, the captain of the guard who served the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. Okay, came to pass. My prayer, <laughs> I hear these things happening. Lord, give us ears to hear. I want ears to hear. I don't ever want to get in this place of comfortability, just going with the flow, moseying down, drifting, you know, on down Christian lane, whatever that is. I, I want to hear, Lord. And I want to know what you're telling me is right and wrong as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, as a friend. I want to know what you, if I'm off the kilter in any way, Lord, shape me up. Bring those brothers around me to get me on right track. And then as for the people... From these other nations that saw the destruction, they would say, why has the Lord done this? The answer is simple, right? God has judged the nation because the people had forsaken the covenant and, and worshipped other gods. So he judged them. He judged them with the promise of cursing. You remember he said, I will bless you if you keep these and I will curse you if you don't. Well, they're going to receive the cursing, the promised cursing. But that's just the case. You can't live without God. Society breaks down without God. Our nation, even Habakkuk said that the laws are paralyzed. Nothing is happening. It just amazes me the things that they're, we're going through today. I remember my mom telling me, she says, wow, it, things have changed over the last 20 years. I wish my mom was alive today. It'd make her head spin. The way things have changed. The way things are changing. It's just incredible to see. And so... The people from all these other nations are going to look, they're going to say, why? Well, it's because they walked away from the Lord. They've forsaken the covenant. Look at other things become important. Well, we're still drawn to people. We still get to keep the lights on. We're, hey, we even got more people and we got more lights and better lights and, you know, whatever the case may be. But, wow, we got this and that and the other thing, but there's no God there. There's no Jesus. See, God had judged the people again 
the promise of his cursing. And then here's a message to Shalom, which is uh, Jehoahaz in verse 10. He says, weep not for the dead, nor bemoan him. He's speaking to Josiah. Don't weep for Josiah. Weep bitterly for him who goes away, referring to Jehoahaz, referring to the one who's getting this message, who Pharaoh, Necho, is going to take into captivity. For he shall return no more, nor see his native country. That's pretty sad, right? Here's a message to you, King Jehoahaz. The message to you is you're, you're going to be taken captive and you're going to not see your native country anymore. You never return. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord concerning Shulam, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah, his father, who went from this place. He shall not return here anymore, but he shall die in a place where, he have take, uh, where they have led him captive and shall see this land no more. This is sad, isn't it? I mean, you have an opportunity to lead God's people, to rule God's people. How are you going to do that? Think about that in a husband and a wife manner. So husband and wife, how are you going to do that? Or friends, friendship to friendship, how are you going to do that? Maybe you're not leading, you're co-leading. In a relationship, it takes two, right? How are we leading? Are we leading by the Spirit of God? Are we leading with the love of God? That's how it should be. Or are we just leading and, and pressing our thumb down pretty heavy? You see, this has only been three months that Jehoahaz is in office and he's taken out. Let's get rid of this guy. And he's taken away to, to Egypt. And Jeremiah was given this prophecy in 609 B.C., after he was taken into captivity, and Jeremiah predicted that uh, Shalom would uh, never return to Jerusalem. Instead, he would die there, just as it said. And then look at uh, the message to Jehoiakim. Remember, I mentioned these three guys as we started this chapter. Verse 13, he says, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice. This is a far cry from his father, far cry from Josiah. Josiah built with honesty and integrity. This is a far cry. There's no honesty in the reign of Jehoiakim. Again, woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for his work. I mean, there's neither frugal or cheap here. This is downright wrong. Verse 14, he says, Who says, I will build myself a, a white house with spacious chambers and cut down, uh, cut out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. See, it's not bad for a king to live in such a way as have a nice house. Nothing wrong with that. The problem is the country is just being beat up. They need a king who's going to lead. Not worry about how well he's living. Not, not worry about what he can get for himself. This is nothing but selfishness. He's living his life. Let's see what I can get out of it. Listen, one day we're all going to die. Unless the rapture of the church comes. I vote for the rapture, but it's not my vote that counts. Well, we're all going to perish. What, what are we going to say when we leave here? What, what is it going to be? What are we taking with us? How do we live our lives? What is it, the love of God? Do we have the love of God in us? And are we living in a way that, you know, I mean, this guy's living his life, you know, far cry from Josiah. And, and you know, we, we may have never been raised in a Christian home, 
We don't know what it's like to live our lives for God, but we got to find out we have His Word. That's where we come under the authority of it. Verse 15, Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? <laughs> Did not your father, and he's speaking of Josiah, eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? He lived in a nice house. He did things justly, though. And then it was well with him. He, speaking of Josiah, judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Was not this uh, knowing me, says the Lord? Yet your eyes and your heart are not are, are for nothing but your covetous, covetousness, for shedding innocent blood and practicing uh, oppression and violence. See, Jehoiakim was going to have to surrender to the Lord. I mean, he's going to have to answer the Lord. This is what he's, he's doing. He's like... What are you doing with this stuff? And it wasn't a very pleasant conversation. When you look at God as looking down, sees everything. And he expects the king to do what's right. He expects the king to do what is just. Not to do whatever they want to do that's going to benefit themselves. Even today, whether it's our political leaders, we need to, they need to lead. Church leaders, they need to lead by what's right. Not by what they may get out of it. And because of it, the Lord continues, look at verse 18, Therefore thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother, alas, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, master, or alas, his glory. He shall be buried uh, with the burial of a donkey. Dragged, I don't know how they bury donkeys. I they shoot them out there. I don't know what they do. Dragged and cast out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. And again, this is sad because he's not even going to be recognized as a man who led the people of God. They're going to die. Not Je you know, Jehoiakim, not even going to be recognized. Go up to Lebanon, verse 20, and cry out. And lift up your voice to Bashan. Cry from Abarim, uh, for all your lovers are destroyed. For I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said I will not hear. Isn't this sad? This is why I say don't get hooked on the prosperity of our nation. Don't get hooked on this stuff. Listen to God, no matter what. Listen to God. This is an ebb and flow. I don't, I don't praise anybody. There's only one we're going to praise around here. It's Jesus Christ. Now imagine the people that have heard the gospel, yet they haven't made a decision for Christ. They're living in prosperity. And listen, I spoke to you in your prosperity, and, and you know they, a lot of people will come. Resurrection Sunday, you know, we'll get a crowd of people, and they'll come, and they'll hopefully fill the, the um, high school for the sunrise service. But but you may be living large now, but the time is going to come when you're going to have to answer. And this has been your manner for your youth, he says in verse 21, that you did not obey my voice. And the wind shall eat up your rulers, and your lovers shall go into captivity. Surely then you will be ashamed and, you, and humiliated for all your wickedness. O inhabitant of Lebanon, making your nest in the cedars. How gracious will you be when pangs come upon you like the pain of a woman in labor? Wow. I mean, because of his foolishness, Jeremiah called on the city of Jerusalem to lament her fate. This is coming down. God had warned Jerusalem of the consequences of disobedience when she felt secure and everything was going well, but she failed to listen. I'm so... I, at the same token, I didn't want to say this. I'm so thankful that the, our country seems to be doing well. I am. But I just don't want to get caught up in it. 
because I've seen so many people follow suit that the next person will let you down or the person after that will let you down. I just want to be hooked on Jesus. I want Jesus to be my satisfaction, my portion, and our portion, our joy. Here you have that he's warning them in our prosperity. I still think there's a word out there to, to, to our nation that, hey, I'm warning you in your prosperity. Don't get caught up in it. May our hearts be in tune with God. May our hearts be in tune with Jesus Christ. May backsliders come home. May we be uh, just uh, on the advance to invite people to come to church or invite people to Jesus. And again, as I've been mentioning, this has been so heavy on my heart lately, but may we allow God to be, Jesus to be everything to us that we need him to be. Instead of just walking around as a, not just a safe Christian, but I want to just be light, not about my burden. And so here you have this time where the city only watched in sorrow. The people would only watch in sorrow as their shepherds, the king, were taken away to their allies. I mean, here are the people. The promise the people many things. Where are you going? I thought you were the king, man. I gave to your political party. What happened? Look at verse 24. The message to Coniah or Jehoiachin. As I live, says the Lord, though Coniah, uh, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet of my right hand, yet I would pluck you off. Signet ring, you know, is a stamp, put it in a wax. He's going to pluck him off. I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life and into the hand of those who, whose face you fear. The hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the hand of the, uh, the, hand of the Chaldeans, so I will cast you out. And your mothers who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they desire to return, they shall not return. So Jehoiachin followed his father Jehoiakim to the throne. After this three-month reign, Jehoiachin surrenders to Nebuchadnezzar. And he's deported to Babylon where he lived the rest of his life. Listen, God's word's going to come to pass. And again, my heart would, it really does ache for those who have heard the gospel message but haven't responded yet. I'll get to that as we close. Look at verse 28. In this man, Coniah, or Jehoiachin, a despised broken idol, a vessel in which is no pleasure, why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into the land which they do not know? And, and again, it's, it's like nobody's listening. Listen to what he says. He begins to preach to the earth. Oh, earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Nobody's listening. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper, sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. Coniah had children. But the Lord would count him as childless because they're not going to be blessed by him. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> the writing's on the wall. They're seeing these things come to pass. And again, the choice is theirs. It's theirs. For you and I, it's kind of like going into this land where you're trying to till up the ground and it's hard, it's rocky. And you take your 
tools out there and you're trying to break it up. You got your rototiller out there. And it's just hard work. But we have to be faithful to get a crop. It's hard work. And for, for those who have heard the word, I mean, I didn't hear the word just once. It was a couple of times I heard the gospel message before I came to Jesus. But may we listen and may the people out there just keep coming and be, be loving and going after them and care for them. It's not just about giving the message. It's about loving them while you're giving them the message and knowing that, listen, without Christ, there are no do-overs. And we see a, a picture here of the consequences of people that have been warned and warned and warned and warned. They're not listening. And today, I see that same thing. But I just think, well, we have this time to go out and be faithful in the things that we do, whether it's a neighborhood cleanup party or a, you know, um, I don't even call it a special event. Every Sunday we're inviting people just so that we can give them the word of God out again and again and again and pray for their ears to be open. So Gabe come up and he's going to close us. And, and, I'll, and I'll share this with you as he comes up. March, April, I'm trying to think when Resurrection Sunday is, so April. March, we're going to uh, really encourage you guys to um, pass out Pray for Fives. We did this a while back. We want to pray for people. We want to pray for them to come into the kingdom. Right? We want to pray. We want to join you in prayer. Backsliders as well. And they might cross through and come to church on Resurrection Sunday where they'll receive the gospel message. But we need to pray for them. So the whole week led up to uh, Resurrection Sunday, we're going to pray Sunday, pray Monday, pray Tuesday, pray Wednesday, pray Thursday. Friday, we have Black Friday service. Saturday uh, is kind of like getting ready for Sunday, and then we have sunrise service, and then I think the uh, fellowship team is doing another breakfast, and then we'll have service here at 1030. But I, I want to pray along with you for your family. And maybe they may not even be here, but I want to pray that we're giving those out so they, they'll, they'll be here and we can pray I can't convince anybody, can you? <laughs> Isn't it hard? But God can. And that's what we want to do. And everything that we do, we want to ask God, God, help us in this. We don't deserve what we have in you. But God, help us in this. And these people that are here that are in need, they need Jesus. Some of our own family members, they need Jesus. But unless we pray together, again, the, the reason for that, that uh, video, the encouragement to pray and fast video, we, we need to pray together. Let's watch God move. Let's call on God. God, we need you to move. We need you to move in the hearts of people and the lives of people in our own lives. Amen? That's what we need. Let's just worship Him. Let's just, tonight, just bask in His presence. Father, we thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time. And remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.